Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I am joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Brent Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name's Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, Chris Sherrod, who's in Dallas, Chris Legg in studio, Bryn Starnes in studio. Hey guys, uh, I'm gonna Hello. I'm gonna throw it over to Bryn, um, who's got a question for us, which is gonna lead into our conversation for today. Yeah, which this is perfect because we want to um, tackle these questions, but then this question perfectly leads back into our conversation about scripture, which we were hoping to do anyway. So works out great. But the question from Kim that came in. She says, I wonder why God wouldn't have supernaturally protected the original biblical text. It seems like it would have resolved a lot of disputes about the copies of copies of copies and scribal errors, etc. So, great question. Yes, a really good one. Any thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think what we've been talking about is how it what we what we do know about how it has been preserved. And so the overall message for sure has been preserved. We looked at all the reasons to trust the reliability of its transmission. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I think what we want is, I, it would be great in a lot, I was just thinking in a lot of things, it would be way easier if, if God had, in my mind, if God had done some things differently, but mm-hmm. God chose to do what God knew best. Like in my mind, I'm like, what, why didn't he just, put Satan in hell right away. Right. That would save so much problem. Or why doesn't God just leave these commandments floating up in the sky somewhere where we can all just look up and point to them? Like there's a ton of right. things we'd be like, why didn't he do that? Like, how come, you know, he didn't, I don't know. There's just or like Chris said so- a few weeks ago, why didn't he mention um, iPhones? Cause that would have been a direct sign <laughs> right. that he knows yeah. what he's right. talking about. That would have been so helpful. <laughs> so though, part of it is, I think that he did in one sense, maybe not to the satisfaction of, but we wouldn't have any problems then, but also there's a ton of stuff where in my perspective, I'm like, I think there's other ways, but that's the way God chose to do it. Yeah. Right. I think that's I always, know. that's anytime we have a why question, it's always good to say, because what we're, and I think we may have gone over this when we talked about the holiness of God at one point and the challenges of asking these type of questions when you're talking about God. And, and one of them is because he knows better. Like there's a quick answer. There's like, why? Well, because he's God and we're not. And so we should be asking why we think that's not a good idea, probably given that he's God. At the same time, we're not minimizing. This is a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, and so why questions we've said, we always want to come at them from, I just want to understand. And, and, and I think that's exactly what Kim is asking is I want to understand because man, it would be nice if, if this, and I, I totally get that. Now, the actual way she asks it, why didn't he supernaturally protect the original biblical texts? Um, did you want to comment on that? Like you, you were talking, to, we were talking before about what didn't he protect them? Like, what do you, what is that? Right. Well, my understanding is that um, he, I think the question is asking, why didn't he protect the original copy of all of the text? Like from a textual standpoint, why don't we have the original copy of each book in its perfect form without any scribal errors? Um, But my understanding is that the important conversation is, did he protect the message of scripture? Yeah. 
And and even I, I I may be wrong, but it seems to me that having multiple copies that all throughout time have been preserved the way that they've preserved is more a testament of God's power mm-hmm. just because it's so it's it's not seen anywhere else in right. any other literature and anything no. else that's written. Right. And so like we've talked about, even though there are copies of copies of copies, the fact that there's no, the message has not changed. And even the scribal errors that we do have are not significant to the message of the gospel. Right. That alone to me seems like he has been preserving mm-hmm. the message. Now as to why he didn't preserve the original copy, like you're saying, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know why he chose not to do that. But to me, it seems supernatural and Mm -hmm. even potentially more impressive from a standpoint of him showing his power of preserving his message that way. I don't know that. Right. Well, and I mean, and as things have come out, like we were talking about in the archaeology conversation, like even history Mm -hmm. proves that there is consistency. Right. Yeah. Bryn, you mentioned the, when we had the archaeology episode, that was the one that was all weird in the, in the cutting of it. But the, you mentioned the Dead Sea Scrolls and how significant those were that we suddenly did a thousand year leap and were able to compare documents that were a thousand years older and you still had this radical level of continuity, not mm-hmm. not flawless continuity, but meaning-based continuity. And that I think you could make a very good argument that that is God protecting supernaturally the message of his scripture, for sure. And I do understand the heart behind this question of saying, wouldn't it have dispelled a lot of, of other questions and confusion mm-hmm. if we just had the original everything in its mm-hmm. original copy? Especially if God, if God can do anything. Right, right. right. Yeah. That would have, I can see the comfort that that would have provided if he'd chosen to do that. But It would be, it would be really interesting. So I'm, I'm curious, some of you guys have, have been to Israel and, and you see the veneration that happens when, when there is a place mm. like, okay, we've got, we've got a place that we think maybe this is where Jesus actually died on the cross. And so there's a giant building built on top of it, mm. or this is Good the, point. this is where we think his tomb was. And now there's a giant building built on top of it. And in fact, to such a degree that the tomb has been leveled, there now is no tomb. There's not even a hill there. It's just mm-hmm. flat and it's paved. And there's a building allegedly on that, on that sacred, alleged sacred spot. And pilgrims come from around the world, and a lot of them are like us, interested in the history of it and the spiritual and the biblical connection. But a lot of people venerate those sites. I mean, they they essentially worship those sites. Kind of the sacred space. So what what do you think would be the effects of us having the original copy of Matthew, of it still being in some papyrus in a perfect form? And and one, would anyone buy it? I'm I'm dubious. I think everyone would just not buy it. Like, no, it's not the original. You can't prove it's the original. I think it would be in a vault somewhere, either inaccessible to everybody, or it would be a place where people put their offerings. Mm. Like, I think people would be worshiping it. And we, yeah, we don't fair. worship the Bible. Um, we, don't, we don't worship the Bible. It is pen and ink. <clears throat> it is revealed truth, but the Bible itself has no supernatural power, just in and of itself. It does not chase away evil spirits. Um, they burn, it burns in house fires. Remember mm-hmm. told y'all about, I was told at one point that they don't, that the Bible can't be burned no. as a young person. I was told that like the Bible can't be burned. Oh my God. Um, I won't tell you good exactly theology. what I did to check that. <laughs> oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, uh, 
but I've, it's suffice. Wait, how, how, old, tell that <laughs> how, how old were you when you were a teenager? Okay. I'm going to back away. Great. Exactly. Chris gets stuck. <laughs> uh, but again, the irony is we're, you know, we're so, and again, we, te- we treat God's word with respect because, mm-hmm. of, because of what it is, but we don't treat it with respect because of what it isn't. It isn't a, a magic tome. It isn't something that's going to, you know, protect your house because you have a copy of it. Like that's, that's, mm-hmm. and if you own a copy and don't read it, it's not doing you any good. Um, if you read it and don't apply it, it's doing you less good. Like it, it's, I think that would be the, one of the great dangers is, is if we had the originals in the original manuscripts originally written, that would imply something that I don't think God wanted implied, which is it's not these words. It's not this papyrus that is supernatural. It is the truth found in them that is supernatural. Um, now, again, I'm not saying, well, and that's why God did it, because I don't know. I don't know why God did it, but I can imagine why humans would treat that. I mean, think about how yeah. people tr- treat the Shroud of Turin, and we don't even know for sure what this is. Like, is it a total hoax? Is it a covering that was over Jesus? I mean, it's, it's anything from an actual covering over Jesus to a complete hoax. Mm. And, and people treat it as though they've walked into the room with Jesus himself when they see it, and that's wrong. It's a piece of cloth. And, and so we, it, it, that just shows you the human tendency to want to idolize even the good things God gives us. He gives us something good, so we turn it into an idol. I think that's exactly what we would do if we had those, especially if they were protected supernaturally. Yeah. And I think that's part of what, on, before Stephen was stoned to death, what he was trying to even say, like, you guys have turned the temple yes. into this idol, where that's your identity and that's everything right there, and that's not what it's all about. And they, I think that was part of what he was trying to get at, too. And keep in mind, apparently, Neither Matthew nor John nor any of the others, who, the disciples who wrote, thought they needed to be protected. They wanted them copied and read and applied and, and given to more people and copied and read and applied and given to more people. There was never anything apparently in the early church that sought to protect the original copies. Yeah. They didn't see the original copies as supernatural. They saw the truth in it as supernatural. And, and what's wild is the truth in them has been protected throughout history. And, and I know that, that Bart Ehrman, I was listening to a debate between uh, Bart Ehrman and Dan Wallace. Um, and, uh, and Bart keeps talking about, but, but what about the copies made before the oldest copy we have? And, and of course, he's talking to complete silence. Well, and, and Dr. Wallace keeps saying, like, Bart, we don't know. Like, there, there, there could easily be some copies that existed before the copies we have, we assume so. What errors were made in those? Well, obviously, we don't know because we don't have them, but we can see what's happened since. And the line, tracing the line backwards, makes it very plausible. That makes it most likely that what we have is incredibly similar to what they wrote. And, and anyway, that was a, it's, it's a, it, it's a, a great conversation. But even, even Dr. Ehrman, um, has acknowledged that most of his history until recently, that what we have is largely the recreated New Testament. And I think that's a healthy conversation. Um, let's comment. In fact, going into textual analysis. Can I say one more yes, thing before please you switch do. over? Yeah. So another side thought that I had is um, knowing how we are as humans. I think even if we had the original copy, I don't know that that would have dispelled disputes about things no. because we tend to had doubt and have disputes over things. We would have you know, just figured something else out. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of how clear they are. And Absolutely. so I, I think 
yeah, I don't think that that would guarantee a lack of dispute. No, we've talked about that. Miraculous things don't actually convince us as much as we think they're going to. Right. Um, I'm trying what I don't remember who, what professor was. We cited him in one, in one of our conversations where he talked about if God, it may have been, uh, Dr. Krause, uh, Lawrence Krause, but he said, if, if God went outside and God put a big lot thing in the sky saying, Dr. You know, Dr. Lawrence Krause, I am God, there is whatever. And then he, what's funny is he says, maybe that would do it. And then under his breath, he goes like, oh, but I probably would explain that away too. Like, yeah, yes, you would. And so, um, I, I, I think the idea here is we would say the message has been supernaturally protected. I don't know how else you can express and explain it being, it getting here the way it does. Um, and we're going to spend several, probably several podcasts talking about textual discussions Mm -hmm. and that stuff. Um, and I think when people hear that, they'll, and we may even start that in a minute, but when people hear that, they'll be stunned at what the truth is Mm -hmm. and what the truth isn't and, and engaging in that conversation. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think we would have still found things to dispute about. I just, (laughs) I mean, given that, that we have two different old news channels, you know, two different old news directions that argue about what was said yesterday (laughs) um, by somebody and it's recorded by 900 different people and we're still debating over what the person said like I think we would have found something to fight about and video evidence of things that we all disagree on yeah so what do you guys what do you guys hear or know about the whole textual analysis thing like what have you heard or learned over the years and, and and what what questions do you think are out there and this is about how how valid is the text that we have how how accurate that the goal of textual analysis is is it's not to it's not to discuss its accuracy from a truth perspective it's to discuss its accuracy from how close is this to the original perspective um so what have you heard or or what are the what do you think people are wondering about with that well i think we talked about this a little bit but uh, I, it's an example where People, I think, usually don't care to even listen. Like, if you were to bring in or one of your Sunday mornings or, or say, hey, we've got a Saturday seminar, and this guy is going to explain to us all of the tiny little paper, you know, discoveries that we have, that this could be a piece of the... I think a lot of people... I think the only people that would be really interested in going are usually going to be, like, people already interested in it. Like, right, right. It's not going to bring people. people. But then... Those same people, when they're told the Bible, you can't trust the Bible, it's been all this stuff. Then they're like, oh my goodness, is there anything that's there to help me? So it's like, <laughs> yeah. do you, do you want to listen? Like, do you really want to hear this stuff? Because it's really important stuff. It's kind of like when we talked before about, you know, me geeking out on biblical archaeology review magazine. Like it's. <laughs> Have you already started your important. new subscription yet? I've just got to ask. Did you, what? did you start a new subscription for it? <laughs> no, no, oh. not yet. <laughs> Funny. Yeah. I, but, I mean, those are my thoughts about that. It is important, but a lot of people don't, don't think it's that, that important until their faith is all, I don't know. under. Yeah. And, and yeah. And so just to define what we mean by textual analysis, what, what do you mean by that? Chris, like when you're like, yeah, that's, that is the, it is the, the, the conversation is essentially as Dan Wallace, Dr. Dan Wallace, who is, I, I think should be seen as the, maybe the world's expert on some of these mm-hmm. questions. 
But I think he defines it correctly when he says it, it really is the conversation of, and it's not just about the Bible, by the way, any document, any ancient document, how yeah. close is this to the original? And, and that's where, how trustworthy is this as a representation of the original? And that's what we're trying to figure out. That's the main purpose of textual analysis. And so, and so what do we do mm -hmm. when we find something, textual criticism, to compare the manuscripts in order, in an effort to reconstruct what the original texts said? I, I think on those, that same line, I think it is something that a lot of people don't take the time to dig into mm -hmm. because they don't think that it's important, but then it is a tool that is used or a weapon, maybe too strong a word, but um, a argument that's used against Christianity a lot, even by people who don't have a significant knowledge of it. And yes. so it's, it's just something that's flippantly thrown out that I've heard a lot of, well, you know, some claim about how do you even know, or, you know, and by right. people who aren't actually studying it. And so I think for that, it kind of goes back to the archaeology conversation of whether or not you're personally interested in it. I think it does um, really support faith and Christian claims and is important for that purpose. Yes. So. And, and again, as Chris was saying, uh, in fact, you know, our, our friend Pike Weisner, who's a pastor here in town, he used to joke about the fact that his, his brother sold, uh, I think, electricity, you know, did that deal where they sell electricity and it, they give you a cut rate on your electricity or whatever. And he says, you would have someone to go like, hey, what's your, what are you paying for your electricity right now? And they would go, I don't, I don't, I have no idea. When was the last time you looked at electricity bill? I've never, gosh, I don't think I've ever looked at my electricity bill. And then he said, so then he would sit down and go, what if I told you I could save you 50% on your electricity bill? And all of a sudden the person has all these questions to ask, like, oh, well, but, but what about this? And well, what about this? And what about that? You didn't care about any of that <laughs> until right. I brought until it I brought it up. And, right. and that's what happens is when someone comes up and says, oh, yeah. and it even starts with, I love that, that Dr. Ehrman starts his with, we don't have copies. We don't have copies of copies. We don't even have copies of copies of copies. We probably don't have copies of copies of copies of copies. And, he's, and, and so, and, and then Dan Wallace, of course, is like, and? So that you you haven't you haven't you haven't made any claims yet. No one's disagreeing yeah. with that. We probably don't. We get we don't know for sure that we don't have something closer. Although we have no reason to think we have originals, but but we may have some copies of copies or fragments, little tiny pieces. But they were written on something that decayed and went, and we we're lucky to have anything. But the question then, so so no one cares until someone throws that at them, right? And then they panic. So yeah. let's I'm gonna throw a, a few numbers at you. And then let's let's have some fun with this. Uh, um, in the Greek New Testament, there's about 140,000 Greek words, ish. And then here's the number that 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 people want to throw, and that, that so we'll start with it from this perspective. And according to some, Peter Drury is one of them. There are in the area in 140,000 Greek words, of the copies we have of the Greek New Testament, ancient copies we have of the Greek New Testament, there's something in the area of half a million non-spelling variants between all the copies we have. Now, keep in mind, a variance means any difference, any difference between any copies. So if, if you had 1,000 copies and 999 of them have one thing, and one of them has something different, that would count as a variant. Okay. So, so we talked about this before. What's the, uh, yeah, we're already, see, we're already losing you. 
That, that, big, that big yawn. I just sucked in air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see this, this is hard see see this is, anyway uh, you're not losing me chris i promise <laughs> i'm just messing with you um and so this is a so why are there so many variants is a is a is an appropriate question so what would you guess is the answer to the question why are there so many variants Mighty knows God, we wanted to test our fate. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> totally kidding. What, what that's actually what a Mormon, that's what a Mormon said to me when I showed him uh, different contradictions. And uh, that's what he said. Yeah. He's like, I guess God's testing our fate. Wow. Nice. That wouldn't be a blind faith response. Yeah. That is, that is not a reasonable faith response. Well, go ahead, Chris, you got the answer? No. Well, I was going to say, did you listen to, I mean, that was what ruffled Laney's feather so much when we interviewed her and talked yep. about you know her sitting under bart airman because when you only hear that without any explanation yep it really sounds terrible like that's more word that's more variances than there are words in the new testament mm-hmm. right almost 10 times and, right or and five so times yeah it's very disconcerting so so the answer I, is yeah go ahead because we have so many ancient copies and so we have in the Greek alone, handwritten Greek copies of the New Testament, of sections of the New Testament, 5,500 manuscripts. Now, when you compare that to other ancient Greek writings, an, an, an ancient Greek writing that has a whole lot of copies might have five to 10 copies. And that would be huge. Oh, it, not five to 10,000, just no, five to 10. Five to 10. <laughs> like, I think Plato's Republic is nine ish 9 10 12 maybe that plato's republic that we have ancient what would be considered an ancient manuscript is 9 or 10 so yeah. and the greek new testament just greek by the way there's it's written in many other languages and copied into new languages the second century started to be copied into latin we have about 10,000 handwritten latin copies between the syriac and coptic copies and other languages another 5 to 10,000 so you're talking about handwritten manuscripts from the first few hundred years after the Bible was written, and we have somewhere, depending on who you ask, between fifteen and 25,000 manuscripts. So, and, and then again, you're able to look at those. And you compare and, all of them, and if one of them is different, <laughs> that's a that's variant. A variant. <laughs> wow. And so, now, again, I've heard Chris say before, most of the variances are spelling. That now there's half a million non-spelling variances, but of all the variances, a lot are spelling. Like what are what are what are you thinking? Well, yeah, word you, order. Good. Let's go with one. that. Yeah, let's hear about that one. Like, well, Jesus is Christ or Christ Jesus. Every single time. So it's not just yeah. So every time there's a difference in any copy, it counts. Like so, you can have multiple times where those two things are switched. Or if someone if it says Amen and Amen, right. Um, that, I mean, all of those count as a variance. And so the more you list those things, I think what begins to happen, if someone were to, I mean, maybe you have all of them there. I mean, some examples, but the more you do that, people go, oh, oh, like, well then, okay. You know what I mean? You start to realize like, okay, so you don't have reason to panic. The one thing I was going to add to what you said earlier, and it's not just how many we have, but how old they are, because true. when it comes to, I have for Plato, I have that we... There's like a 1300 year time span from when he wrote right. and the earliest copy that we have. Right. And so 
1,300 years is ridiculous. For Tacitus, it's 1,000 years. For Aristotle, 1,400 years. Caesar, 1,000 years. So it's not just the number that we have, but it's how old, how far removed they are right. when they were first written. Yeah, we have ancient fragments within, a, within 100 to 200 years or, or yeah. maybe better. Um, okay, so there's, there's that. That's huge. So, oh, you just closed your... Sorry, uh, Bryn's computer died. Oh, computer no. Died. That's all right. You're still on the podcast, though. Yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> okay, good, because I'm going to get you guys to look up a couple of passages so we can look at the really big, scary variances. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm really scared. Yeah. Um, so, and by the way, not including manuscripts, um, just the writings of the church fathers, so the second, third, fourth, fifth generation of Christians, they wrote and quoted scripture a lot. And there are over a million verses referenced in handwritten manuscripts by church fathers, which also reconnects you. So these are people who may have, some of them may have seen originals, and they are quoting them, and their quotes verify what we have. Wow. Um, again, so it's, it's what this is called. Everyone, every speaker who talks about this for the Bible talks about, quote, an embarrassment of riches. Mm-hmm. The reason we have so many variances is because we have so much material. Right. And then so you can't just go back and be like, well, these other an- ancient manuscripts, they don't have as many variances. <laughs> yeah. like, well, yes, because they are only yeah. nine of them. As, as, as Dan Wallace points out, if we only had one, we would have no variances. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's a weird world in which you actually. So in the textual analysis world, a variance should not necessarily be considered bad news. Mm-hmm. A variance means you have more copies. Yeah. And, and some of the fun, like Chris was referencing, oh my gosh, Chris yeah. was referencing the amens. That's always been my favorite is the, is the amens because copyists, people copying it will get excited about a passage and would put in an amen. <laughs> Clearly that's what happened. They're copying a passage and they're like, this is just, this is just good. Amen. And they'd write an amen in. Well, the, the next person who copied it, copied in their amen. And then, and then they would get excited by a different passage and they would write an amen to a different passage. And, and then everyone who copied after that. And so you actually can trace backwards how Funny. old a copy is by how few amens it has. <laughs> wow. And so, cool. and so they can trace back towards the originals because they have a lot less amens in them. Again, keep in mind, every single one of those is a variance. That so, counts as a variance. So would that be a non-spelling? You keep saying non-spelling. That would be a non-spelling variance. Would be something like yeah. two amens. Yeah. Okay. And, or like Chris said, the order of a word, Christ Jesus or Jesus yes. Christ. And keep right. in mind that in the Greek, and this is Dan Wallace is such a, a nerd on this stuff, like he's forgotten more than I will ever know. Um, but he talks about how many different ways there are to, to write the phrase, Jesus loves Paul in the Greek. There's like thousands of different ways to write that phrase. Wow. And they all mean Jesus loves Paul. Mm-hmm. And wow. And so the, the, the writers, sometimes you will find a passage and they will, every single one of them will say something like Jesus loves Paul, but they write it in several dozen different ways and which changes the meaning none. Yes. And everyone counts as a variance. Wow. Um, it's like Yoda and you saying the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> We know that we hit on a lot of like, there are a lot of little variants, right. um, but right now we just thought it would be valuable yep. to hit the ones that have meaning. Yeah, is that some, big, was ones. That some yes. big ones? These are some big ones. Okay. Yeah. Some so, changes to meaning, not just spelling. Not or just word spelling order. or word order, but actual meaning. 
Okay. So mm-hmm. these are the, these are the big ones. By far the biggest one is the end of Mark 16. Um, Mark 16. So the, the book of Mark, um, the oldest copies, this is a really great story. Um, uh, so in verse, the, the, so the, the gospels, when they were written, they're written back to back in the, the old copies, the closest we have to the originals. You, you get Matthew, and where Matthew ends, the very next line is Mark. So there's no gap, there's no title heading, there's no none of that kind of stuff. But the, it, what's weird, and that's true all through the New Testament when they compile them, except at the end of Mark, there's this gap. In the oldest copies we have, there's a gap at the end of Mark. It ends in Mark 16, 8. Somewhere, I get Mark 16, 9 through uh, 20 was added. Now, no one knows why there was a gap. I had to write a paper on it at seminary, and my opinion that I tried to argue was that they had lost the end of the book of Mark and knew they had lost it. That could have got damaged in a fire mm-hmm. or got water damage or something, and they knew they had lost it, and so they left room in case they found an original copy, which I don't think is what happened. My personal opinion is somewhere along the way, someone filled in one of those gaps, and it began to be copied. All modern Bibles will say the earliest manuscripts do not include six. 16, 9 through 20. And the part of why we think, I don't think it's original is because it references things that happen after Mark. And so it references the Great Commission. It references uh, people being bitten by snakes and not dying, which I think is obviously a reference to the Apostle Paul being bitten by a snake and not dying. Now, the problem is, I think later someone added this in because they were either trying to fill in the gap or trying to cover up for something or whatever, whatever their motivation was. But Here's the deal. It almost certainly does not belong in the Bible. That's why there's a big, in my Bible, it is a big, bold, capital letter thing. The earliest manuscripts do not include 16, 9 through 20. Now, here's what's wild. Because it's all taken from the rest of Scripture, it's all quoting the other passages, it doesn't actually change anything. The only change that it might make is if it's when it says in verse 18, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them is that someone says that somehow that's being encouraged. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, well, then I should go pick up snakes with my hand and drink deadly poison. Usually it doesn't. Too? What's that? You didn't try that one out too as a teenager? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean, yes, but not for uh-huh. religious reasons. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a, it's, and so there are churches that practice this, which is foolish and bad hermeneutics. Um, and, but it would be a bad hermeneutic, even if this was original. It's it's mm-hmm. not saying, so go do this as an act of some kind of worship. Go into all the world and handle snake. And handle snake, right. It's, <laughs> it's just bad. But, so this is, uh, by far, this is the biggest variance in the, in the, in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, at least in the New Testament. The other big one is John 8, the story of the woman caught in adultery. And the issue with the story of the woman caught in adultery is that it appears in various places in the Bible in various copies, including, like, if I remember correctly, in the book of Luke in one place. It, but again, if you go to your modern Bible, the earliest manuscripts, big, bold print, do not include 753 through 811. Now, that doesn't mean it's not a true story. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. We don't know. I, for example, as a pastor, I don't, when I teach through John, I reference it, but I don't teach on it. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not convinced it belongs there. I'm not convinced it, it is not original. I'm convinced it's not original. That doesn't mean I'm convinced it's not true. I'm just convinced it's not original. Right. But again, we know this because of good textual analysis. So you guys have some other examples. Yeah. Bryn, you want to do yours? 
Sure. There's one in Mark 9.29, and it says, And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. He's talking about a, a demon. demon. Yeah. And then there's a footnote that says, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. So it just adds and fasting. So it's the demon can't be driven out except for with prayer or maybe prayer and fasting. There you go. Okay. That's another big meaning change. That's a, so that's one of the big ones. It's one of the big ones. Okay, here's another one of the big ones. This is in Revelation 13. Revelation, excuse me, Revelation 13, 18 says, This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. And then the footnote says, Some manuscripts say 616. Yeah. Dan, Dan Dr. Wallace actually... At one point, I heard him say he was pretty convinced it was 616, but the most recent thing I've heard him say was now he's back to thinking maybe it was 666. So, and he's an expert on Revelation in particular. Wow. But, uh, interesting. I think it was Ben Stewart had heard someone say, well, the number of the beast is 666, but the neighbor of the beast is 616. (laughs) 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 He was always mad at at, at his neighbor because he was always, you know, Messing things up in the yard. So, <laughs> yeah, no joke. so oh, but man. again, the application here, not not huge. Yeah. Except, except for, for like the number. You yeah, your yeah. tattoo and the some rock bands, maybe. Man. Right. Bummer, okay. Bummer for some of those rock bands if they've got the wrong number of the beast, huh? Bummer. You hate when that happens. Yeah. Okay. Well, and Chris Sherrod, you've got you got one. Yeah. So in John fifteen. Um, where Jesus is talking about, I'm the vine, you're the branches and all those things. Uh, at the end of that first section in verse 11, he says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And some copies say that my joy may be in you and that uh, our joy may be full. Mm. Mm. Okay. So there you go. Okay. English spelling, if it was all in English, then it's just somebody dropped the Y and it was right. instead of <laughs> your. I wish I was enough of a Greek expert to know. I know sometimes that is that much of a, just a, a dot, obviously, can yep. change a, a letter. Wow. So why do you think, and this may be, I mean, this may be a bigger question for another episode, but why do you think people emphasize the differences so much in the text? The text? Do you mm-hmm. think it is primarily ignorance or do you think that like what what is the reason for that because i feel like that's really common it is and i think it really throws people off um i think i think the issue here is that it sounds really scary and it freaks people out and it's it literally is you will see things that are hidden or protected um i had to teach a class on hermeneutics and the textbook one of the textbooks actually said that, you know, there's 15,000 ancient Greek manuscripts, and it actually says in this book, and there are no differences between them. And, and I, I like had to read it like four or five times, like, no, no, surely he's, and, and that was what this author not only claimed, but published and got it published. And that's just totally an error. And I think because people think, oh, there would be, there should be no differences, period, none at all. It, and then you find out, wait, there's half a million differences? Oh no, and they and they panic, and I don't think that's necessary yeah. at all. I think I think it actually we have such great material to work with that we can have 
we actually can work our way towards the originals to such completion that, that we have no reason to think that we don't have. I think if we found an original, what we discover is absolutely no significant difference. In, um, in the message. In, certainly in the message yeah. and not meaningful even in the text. And it's, an inter- it's interesting, it kind of brings me back to what we talked about with Lainey and Lainey then kind of following up after the class or later on in the year with what Bart Ehrman actually, what, why, why he's actually an atheist. It didn't have to do with right. the variants. And so it's like, when you dig into it, it's like, oh, this isn't it. Because for him, it was the problem of pain or problem of suffering. Right. Or something like that. So, right. Which probably just depends on the person's personal motivation. Right. Some people may be just, um, you know, ignorant. And, yeah. Or not ignorant, but um, just unaware. Right. Exactly. And so, but to me, I'll oh, go, go for it. Well, I was going to say, this goes back to what we've already said before about uh, having a strong, a strong man theology that your view, <laughs> if your view of God is that you will never allow anything bad to happen to me. Mm-hmm. you're going to be disappointed. And so this is an example there, or what we just talked about on another podcast. If you, if your view is, um, no evolution in any form ever took place. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's your doctrine. And then someone comes along and presents evidence that what's getting knocked down is not Christianity. It's right. your straw man view. And so it's the same thing here with what you just said, Chris, whoever made that claim if your view is there are no variants and that would prove that, you know, cause otherwise the Bible wouldn't be the word of God. It's like, well, that's a wrong, you got a wrong view and right. should be deconstructed. Right. It goes back to our whole purpose here is right. When we've right. talked about how, when people say, yeah, I've deconstructed my belief in God. And we say, well, tell me about this God. Right. And when they get done, you go, yeah, I, I don't believe in him either. Like I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't be interested in believing in the God who you've got. And if right. it means I have to believe that there, are, if, if in order to be a Christian, I have to believe there's only right way to, one right way to understand every passage. Well, then I, I guess I can't be a Christian. Or if I have to, in order to be a Christian, I have to believe that the earth is a certain date. Well, then I, I can't be a Christian. Or if I have to believe that there are no errors in any copies of anything in scripture, no, no transcript copies that have made it, that have no, no variances. Well, then I, I guess I can't be as good because those aren't right. Right. And so what happens is we, we make those mistakes and then we blame God for our misunderstandings or our mistakes. And these are scary ones. I mean, I remember the first time I read, you know, 150,000 Greek words. I don't know what that click is. Isn't it? I don't know. That is really weird. Um, the the 150,000, you know, ish Greek New Testament words and somewhere between 300,000 and a million variances. The first time I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, what? And then, but then a little digging. Oh. Actually, the variances help us trace them. The variances help us right. understand where they come from and what source they have and who wrote it and which copyists and, and work our way backwards towards the originals. It's, it, it may not be what I would choose, but it certainly helps us work our way back that there are variances. So, And even as we're called to disciple others and the next generation, I think things like this are really key. Even if we don't have a lot of knowledge of it, that we are teaching theology and scripture accurately because if we are not then we are opening up the next generation to have questions about you know like like you're just the example you just gave of wait i i have to believe this this and this to be a christian and if we're not presenting this well to the next generation then we're just opening them up for more confusion as well so it's so true 
Very good. Chris, anything else to add? I know you're, you know a lot about textual analysis. analysis. Wow, I can't have a hard time with that word. Analysis as well. Anything to, uh, anything to toss in here as we're wrapping up? No, I, I think that um, it's just like when people make claims about contradictions in the Bible, it's just like, okay, well, let's take it case by case. Like you, when you make these broad, generic, everybody knows type things, like that's not helpful um, unless you're trying to, just win an argument like, that doesn't actually help you get to, to truth. So I think for a lot of young people or anybody, sorry, I should say, you, yeah. you, you need to be willing to be patient and to study a little bit and then um, let the evidence convince you, not your emotions and not some skeptic meant some tweet or meme. I think meme is the big one now. Oh, wow. Don't yeah. Some meme yeah. freak you out. It's like, well, let's, let's look at it and be willing to. And I think for us who who are convinced we've said this before to also be patient with the the questions that other people have and to not freak out that they have questions or get frustrated like it's okay to have questions right yep very good thank you for joining us for this episode of reconstructed faith if you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged please leave us a review it'll help other people find us if you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.